I really want it to be 80s newscaster music. This show is not allied with any sect, denomination, political entity, organization, or institution. Does not engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any cause. Neither do we. We are not affiliated with Al-Anon or any other 12-step program. The opinions expressed here are strictly of the person who gave them. Please take what you like and leave the rest. Hi, I'm Corey. Hi, Corey. Hi, I'm Claire. Hi, Claire. This is Crosstalk. It's Crosstalk. Oh, man. <laughs> it's time to Crosstalk. It's time to Crosstalk. You know, I've missed this. It's been, um, I just miss it when we don't Crosstalk. Um <laughs> um yeah so the pandemic's over and that's exciting and i'm just curious i mean it's completely over there's no issues whatsoever and everyone's fine and i'm curious how that's affecting your program or anything else you want to share about oh did you want to get current yeah let's get current okay cool um that's so funny that you said that like that yeah it's that's you're so funny um (laughs) <laughs> that's what's on really my say, mind you know you want to know how it's affecting how the the shifts in uh, your the shift uh, i would call it that's happening right now um for where i live in la is disneyland's opened it closed i had bought tickets last year uh for my partner's birthday and i bought the like three-day pass where you can go to either park you pick one park but for the day. So it's not a park hopper where you can go to one and the other. It's just you get to pick one, but you get three days. So we only used one day. And then, dun, 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 the pandemic came. And so Disneyland closed. And But we got a notification. It was like, hey, parks are opening. Use your final, your two, other two days. You know, we were all stressed and, and Alan on and out a bit at like mid-pandemic. We were like, are they going to give us our days? What's going to happen? Are they going to let us know? Like, we got to be on this. Like, oh, my God. And just like <laughs> serious, serious privilege problems. And But they emailed us, and which was so lovely. And um, so we're going to go for my birthday. And uh-huh. the park's at 25%. We're both fully vaccinated. You know, masks are mandatory all the time. We're fine with that. And we're just super excited to go to Disneyland. Um, also, 25% so Disneyland is the right? best concept I've ever heard of. <laughs> like, we're I may so want to go to Disneyland now before yeah, they sell same. up. I mean, that is like Thanksgiving Day or whatever the day. There's two days. Super Bowl. And Thanksgiving. Those are the two days to go. Oh, are they? Um, they have that like anyway, so that's what yeah, that's that's exciting. And oh my gosh, this guy that lives above the garage that I do my podcasting in, this up this stuff in. Anyways, he's vacuuming. I can't help it, people. I can't help it. You know, I'm in acceptance. Can you so not control you might other vacuuming. people, places and things? I really can't. And look, I'm going to wrap up my getting current because uh, I kind of feel like your question threw me off because I had other things. But And then I got excited about Disneyland. But um, my life's really big right now. I'm going to get super not anonymous and say that like I've been – I went to school for 
video and film production, got a degree, worked in the film industry for years, and then left because it was too much for me. And I didn't know how to do what I wanted to do before program. And then got into program, did the programness, um, did some other jobs and learned a bunch of cool stuff. And, and I'm getting back into the industry and um, directing is, is, is what I'm doing. And I've been directing things instead of doing a bunch of stuff I didn't want to do. So I'm directing a music video on Monday and I'm super excited about it and um and just fucking doing it. And my like business, my uh my business that I have a business partner with where my primary income comes from is like thriving and growing and we have to hire some people cuz like I'm done doing budgets, fuck that shit. And <laughs> I just want to like go to the job site and be like these stones are beautiful. Put them in here. Thank you. I'm just like living my best life right now, Corey. And am I a little stressed? Yeah, but like had a great sponsor meeting this morning, made a list, uh, a, a calendar for my, like a schedule for my today and tomorrow and like blocked out time for myself to like play video games and garden. <laughs> Congratulations. That's what's, that's what's happening right now. Okay. You're up. I love that. Um, yeah. Uh, currently, what's happening currently? <clears throat> currently I am... Yeah, my life is big and great and work is fantastic. And I'm dealing with a lot of people at work issues. And mm. it keeps coming up the same stuff uh, day after day, year after year. And um, it's really interesting because I have such a detachment – or not a detachment. I have an awareness that makes me feel like kind of like bird's eye about it, like I can see it. But I still have a lot of visceral reaction to it. And um, just got real, real clear this week that I just genuinely, genuinely care what other people think about me. <laughs> I just am not fully able to let that go. And that's really what's causing all the uh, anguish on my side, at least. Um, because if I didn't, I wouldn't care so much. Um, so I'm looking sure. at that a lot, which is interesting because I think I thought that I was somebody who didn't care as much as I'm realizing that I care. So that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult. I'm watching a pattern that, that I participated on one side of play out again with me on the other side of it. So I'm the, the villain in this scenario. And before I, I was the victim, you know, again, all made up by all parties, but that was the, that was the archeology. span Archaeology, anthropology, story, narrative. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so it's all getting kind of comical because it's just like, oh, right. Yeah, no. And then doing nothing and making no decisions because I don't know what the future holds. And but still kind of kind of thinking like eh, this is not going to go. Not gonna go the way we want it to go. Um, so yeah, I'm just because your crystal balls working again. That's how you know that. Uh, well, you know, crystal balls aside, Claire, we do uh, learn in this program that people show up when people tell you who they are. <laughs> believe them, <laughs> and sure, we are sure, able sure. to not predict the future, but also see patterns and decide if those patterns work mm -hmm. for us and maybe think, are these patterns going to work in the long run, right? Like if the alcoholic comes okay. home drunk over and over again and tells you they're not going to drink, 
you could probably maybe. assume that maybe they're going to drink again and make decisions based on that. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't think that's future tripping. It's more like, well, let's look at the facts, right? Nine out of 10 times. Yeah. That's following a pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. following a pattern. So, you know, it's a bummer, but it's interesting. I don't really know if that made any sense, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's what's happening. That sounds like, uh, it's what's happening. Yeah, I really hear that. But you know, I well, have it sounds like recovery. to me when people act a certain way, sometimes it affects others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, um, illness can be spread like a disease, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. The, the the family disease of alcoholism is what we call it in Al Anon, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, Which, you know, watching, you know, I don't have a, watching someone else's kind of like a uh, God-shaped hole that I can't fill. Oh, yeah. And then being asked oh, to kind yeah. of fill. Um, oh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Because I'm like, oh, honey, I can't, I can't be, I can't do anything about that. That's not my job. Um, nor could mm. it, nor would it work if I tried. <laughs> so um, anyway, mm-hmm. that's uh but that's a lot of awareness that comes from this program. And I'm very excited that. I have the opportunity to do it differently, to watch it, to not take action, and then maybe eventually to take some action that needs to be taken when I gather more information. So uh, in the meantime, I'm uncomfortable a lot, often, but (laughs) 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 we were not guaranteed uh, in the promises, which I think we're going to think about later today, uh, we were not guaranteed that we would not be uncomfortable. Um, That's right. That's right. It doesn't say that anywhere. All discomfort will be removed forever. (laughs) Not at all. But, um, you know, I think uh, it's a very – it's interesting watching other people because they seem like they are also participating in what was probably the family disease of alcoholism. And Mm. that's going to be kind of our topic for today is the family disease Mm. and how it affects all Mm. players. Um, and to that end, you, I love how you always just so naturally just take us into the I mean, topic. I will find a transition out of cold stone. I don't care. Um, so, but you have brought, uh, someone we both know and love, but, um, mm-hmm. somebody you, you brought and maybe you want to introduce that person. Oh gosh. You always do the introduction. I know I was mixing it up anyway. So today we have David. <laughs> You know, I like to keep you on your toes. Hello. Hi, David. Hi, David. Hi, Corey. Hi, Claire. So good to hear your voices. I have been smiling the entire 10 minutes you guys were catching up. <laughs> I've had the biggest smile on my face. It's a Wednesday night reunion, man. I love it. Wednesday night, Cochrane Avenue Baptist Church. She's oh, just throwing it out there. It's a good I meeting. I just wish we were. In, it, is. it is. I wish we were in person, though. Yes, I agree. Uh, Me too. I, I I would love to be actually physically with you both. So, mm. well, soon. I think this could happen soon. Yeah, yeah, um, I think well, so too. Well, David and I have a meeting on the calendar. Oh well, you yeah. guys are in LA, so that's possible. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're gonna um, hug. Uh, we are. <laughs> <laughs> but David. Um, you know, it sounds like from my experience of you that you might have been affected by the family disease. I definitely was. And, you know, uh, and maybe uh, you want to share on that and then we could cross talk. Uh, 
<laughs> yes, that sounds awesome. I love the crosstalk part. Um, you know, uh, I grew up uh, with a very angry alcoholic father. And it really... How do you your time, David? Oh, uh, just, I guess, nine and one. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Okay. Um, and really, you know, like my earliest memories of my infancy was fear. And it really uh, um, was a driver in my life for the majority of my life. Um, I, I came to realize my mom was also an alcoholic, but she was a happy drunk. Um, unlike my dad, who was a binge drinker, um, they divorced when I was young and I spent my summers with him and the rest of the year with my mom. Um, uh, and it definitely made me the person who I am today. <laughs> um, I developed my own addiction. I, uh, became an Al-Anon. I'm, you know, I'm an ACA, you know, uh, it's it's just uh, my journey into these rooms has been a lifesaver for me. Um, I will tell you that, uh, and it's so interesting that you asked me to talk on the subject because I do have four children, um, and they have all been affected by my Al-Anon isms um, and my addictions. Um, and I am doing right now all this um, spiritual work. Uh, for some reason, God has just uh, sort of caused me to dive headfirst into doing a lot of spiritual work and reading over the last six months. And and literally one of the things I've just been reading about um, is uh, it's not exactly the, genera the generational um, um, disease of this, but it is. Um, you know, I've been reading about, you know, uh, past lives and, and, uh, I can see, like, I can literally see the family disease and dysfunction that I carry today is not just my father's, you know, um, it belongs to his father and his mother and their parents and the parents going back and back because they all carried some type of DNA and dysfunction in their cells and they've literally, you know, like they passed it down to me and I've clearly passed it down to my own children. Um, you know, my kids, um, range in age from 21 to, um, 30. Um, and the reality is, is, and I've been in recovery and working on myself, like I said, for 11 years and all all of my kids have independently told me that I am a better father today um, than I was when I was in my crazy and in my addictions. Um, but the truth is, like, I don't have great relationships with all of them, and that's okay. You know, um, it's God's will, not mine. Um, and uh, my oldest daughter hasn't spoken to me in about a year and a half. Um uh, when my marriage fell apart because of my issues um, 11 years ago, which is what got me into recovery, um, she didn't talk to me for four years. Um, so, you know, I begin my days and I end my days in prayer and my prayers are in gratitude lists. 
And part of my prayer is always that I hope that my children, I like to phrase it, hear God's voice, um, that they um, find their way into recovery. Um, because, you know, uh, I think it would be very helpful to them. Um, and I also keep the prayer of St. Francis very close to my heart. You know, the it's better to love than to be loved. And I love my oldest daughter. Um, you know, I sent her a text a few months ago saying, you know, I don't text you very often because I'm trying to respect your boundaries, but I want you to know that there isn't a single day that goes by that I don't think about you, you know, and that I don't love you. Um, never get a response back and that's okay too. Um, my youngest daughter, uh, uh, within the last year, um, she finally owned, um, her truth and she let me have it. Um, uh, in a long series of texts. Um, and I really had to work my program around that. I just held space for her and listened because I had to own what I did. And I did many of the things that she said, but I also resisted the effort to push back on her truth about things that I knew were incorrect that she was saying. Although I did leave it open to her that anytime she wanted to talk about this, you know, like at a therapist's or anything like that, that I would be so open for that. Um, and I then met with five other fellows in program who were all parents and I read them the texts. Uh, this is, I met them in a group to get their feedback as to what I should do. And because I'm a people pleaser, you know, and I want to do everything that my daughter is demanding that I do. And pretty much all five of them who are all parents said, yeah, she's emotionally blackmailing you. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do a single thing that she's, that she's, you know, um, asking for, you know, you know, telling you to do. And I knew that was the right answer, <laughs> you know, but it's so hard for somebody who is, who is a people pleaser and who just wants to throw money at something and somehow believe that that's magically going to make it disappear. Um, uh, then, uh, I have a son who has high functioning autism and my relationship with him is okay. Um, it's hard to gauge because, um, he can be, um, hard to read because of his, um, disability. Um, and then I have a youngest son, um, who talks to me probably every other day who God has given me the miracle of having him come into program with me. Um, he is the only one of my kids who came, who face to face told me he hated me, um, told me, um, asked me how I could do the things that I did to the family. And it gave me this beautiful opportunity from God to really talk to him about my recovery and apologize to him and own the things that I did with him. And literally at the end of that conversation, he, he said to me, dad, when's your next meeting? And I said, tomorrow night. And he said, can I come with you? And I said, that would be awesome. I do fellowship beforehand with a group, with a group of guys. Would you like to meet us, you know, for fellowship? And he said, yes. And he met my, met my friends and he went to three or four meetings and he shared and he cried and he bought some literature and then he stopped going and that's okay as well. You know, I, I can't make him do these things, but he does call me 
really routinely when he gets triggered by his Al-Anon and ACA issues because he's he, because he's living in a dysfunctional household. And God has just given me this gift of like really breaking the cycle with him for sure. You know, um, you know, like he called me about a, a month ago, literally just to tell me, dad, I can't tell you how much it means to me that phrase you taught me about don't go to the hardware store for milk. <laughs> um, you know, he said that just, he said, I think about that phrase all the time when I think I should go to my sister, or I think I should go to my mother and I know that they have nothing to give me. Um, so I know that I need to call you or I need to call somebody else. Um, and just so many deep, program like conversations where I get to show up as his father, um, you know, as an adult and help him to navigate these waters, um, of being an ACA of being an Al-Anon. Um, and the growth that I've seen in him, you know, such as him, you know, shockingly, a lot of his friends were alcoholics and addicts and how he just naturally culled them out of his life. And, and, and how he's really working on himself and recognizing those moments when. One minute. Thank you. Um, he recognizes those moments when, in in essence, he doesn't say this. He calls it spiraling out, but um, he's going down the rabbit hole, and he knows it. Um, and he takes the step of making a phone call to me. You know, um, and. You know, like one of the last times we spoke, he said, you know, dad, what else can I do? You know, and I told him the same mantra that I would tell anybody, which is you need to start going to more meetings. You know, they're on Zoom now. So, you you know, you can find one all the time. You need to get a sponsor and you need to have a whole group of people who you call, not just your dad, but a whole group of people you can re, re, rely on and call. You know, and I told him and you need to work the steps and, you you know. He sees how healthy I am. I'm blessed in the fact that he is, that he does see that. My other three don't. And again, all I can do is just pray and let go and hope that one day soon they do. But I mean, it, it just really, really just cements to me, like I said, that that it is a, a generational disease. And like my whole goal in this recovery now is, is to... Thank you is to break that cycle, you know, and to heal myself and to heal. Literally, I feel like I'm healing future generations. Um, so anyways, thank you for letting me share. Yay. Wonderful. Wow. That was powerful. Um, you know, we really so want much so dense. Loved it. I feel like I got, um, sorry. I just totally interrupted you. That's okay. Go for it. <laughs> I feel like I'm usually like filling the dead space in case for fear of silence. Fear, fear no, I love of it. Silence. I love that you fill the dead space. I usually just sit back and like twiddle my thumbs. Yeah, well, that says a lot about you. Um, so, yeah. What were you going to say, Claire? Or am I asking the first cross? I mean, let's cross talk. <laughs> just go. Okay. You go. Hit it, Corey. You know, I, I was just going to gush. I'll yeah. gush later. You can gush later. Um. <laughs> It's really, we really wanted to have a parent on the show, 
And we really wanted to have someone who had been on both sides of this coin, but I think specifically from this parent perspective. So that's what's most interesting to me because I feel like my experience as growing up in an alcoholic home is that, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about our parents. Um, and oftentimes our parents aren't in recovery. So it's fascinating. I think, yeah, you know, what was interesting to me, the first thing that came up to me was just your recovery has always been so beautiful. And I always wonder, like, how did you overcome what I'm assuming, and I'm assuming, was pos- was guilt around your part and mm-hmm. and the self-forgiveness that you must have had to work with in order to get to where you are now. Um, and I'm curious if you could talk about how you went through that process, because to me that sounds like the most harrowing part of this. Uh, that's that's actually a really good question. You know, um, I think a big part of it was just um, owning it and accepting that I did these things. You know, I did these things when I was in my dis-ease, you know, when I was ill. Um, and that every day I work on and it literally is every day. It's, it's, it's not like there's ever a, a vacation from it. You know, um, it's like every day I work on, um, bettering myself to, to, to be the best father that I can be to them. Um, even if the best father to them means that I respect their boundaries and don't communicate with them. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, that, and, and it's not to say that that guilt doesn't tap me on the shoulder every so often because it does. Um, and, and, you know, especially when I see other people in program who seem to have these great relationships with their kids and like, I'm like, you know, that voice wants to come that inner critical parent, whatever you want to call it, wants to tell me, you know, what a terrible father I am. Um, and yeah, I just like, turn it over. I mean, I just let go and turn it over to God and just, you know, it's God's will, not mine. So that's basically how I've tried to do it. And it also helps that I get a lot of feedback from other um, children in program. I mean, they're not children, they're all adults, but, you know, people, you know, I've had a number of younger people come up to me and, you know, basically say something to me along the lines of, wow, I wish my dad was doing the kind of stuff that, that, that you're doing to make yourself better you know, because my dad would never do that. So that sort of helps. Yeah. And I think this just thinking about, you know, there's no guarantee that we get the relationship we want from the amends, right. Or from the living amends or from any of it. Right. And I think there's such a sense, I still feel like there's probably a hope in all of us that if there is something that we've done, we get to, you know, get to reconcile and it's just not, it's just not a guarantee. Um, which I think is what's so interesting about your story is how, what the detachment and love, the loving detachment you live with exactly. your children. Yeah. That's exactly what I it is. I really relate to that, even though I don't have children in the sense of like, you know, I've made amends to family members and it's, there's nothing that I can do about how they feel about me at this point. And I just get to show up as like the best sibling, you know, a loving, caring sibling, like a loving, caring child. Like, that's it. Um, And I don't know, Corey, I think sometimes it might come and go, but 
most of the time I I think I, again I'm sure it must be exponentially more difficult with when you're dealing with being a parent of a child and like um, the reconciliation of wrongs or harm that's been done um that was awful to my parents though I was really awful in a lot of ways just extremely mean and disrespectful me and they taught me how to do it you know so <laughs> <laughs> jokes on them no but um but <laughs> not all the time you know again it's not all or nothing but there were a lot there was plenty of times where I was really fucking shitty and I've gotten to make amends for that and, you know, uh, make a commitment to not to act differently, um, in situations like that, if they come up in the future, I don't worry about it anymore of offending them when I don't answer a call, um, you know, or getting off a call or whatever, however I'm showing up, that's a boundary for me or respecting something that they've requested or need. I don't, um, even if things don't look like I'd like the ideal image of what they would look like, I feel like it's possible to have like true acceptance around that. And just really love with that unconditional love and detachment that we're talking about. It's possible. Uh What do you think, David? Oh, Absolutely. You know, um, it is, it's, it, it's something I definitely always hope for. And I pray for, you know, um, I genuinely believe that my kids know that I love them, you know, Mm. um, they just really, um, honestly, what I think is that my, my, my oldest three need to have that same conversation that my youngest son had with me in person Mm -hmm. to my face you know, Mm -hmm. where they have to get out all the, all the toxins that they've been carrying around with them. (laughs) You know, like, like I, like I've had this conversation with my younger daughter where I tell her, you can tell me anything you want. You can tell me how much you hate me. You can tell me everything. I can handle it. You know, I can, you know, I can handle it, you know? Um, but it's just, she has to get, they have to get to a point where they just need that toxin out of their body. And like I said, I, Mm. I pray for the day that, you know, specifically my, my older daughter, because at least my younger daughter put it in writing. Like my, my, my older daughter just gets it out because she took the brunt of my insanity, my oldest. So like, like as crazy, as as crazy as this might sound, like I pray for the day that she's going to come up to me and tell me how much she hates me and that she never wants to talk to me again. You know, like I want her to get that negative, that toxicity that I feel like she's carrying, that she's stuffing down, um, out. Mm -hmm. How do you maintain your self-esteem in, in that process and not be... I mean, it must be so hard to hear. I can't even handle when people like that. I that are design companies like they don't like me. Like, what? How can someone not like me? I'm amazing. So, I mean, the idea of and even the sadness when I think of like having to say things that I need to say to my parents. There's so much sadness in having to say it. Um, so, I'm just, you know, how do you how do you keep your cool, so to speak, or your equilibrium or your self esteem really, if you're going to hear those things? You know, I think a part of it for me is 
those things can coexist in my world, meaning mm. their anger and their um, whatever feelings that they feel around the things that I did and that I did do um, can coexist with my acceptance of I did this. I'm sorry from the bottom of my heart that I did it. You know, um, you know, I'm living a different life today and I'm going to continue to live a different life today where, you know, uh, hopefully that person who you hate will never appear again. And the only person who will be around is a person that you can potentially like or love. Um, and for me, a big part of it for me is really loving myself, loving my inner child, you know, um, just like there's, there's just so much of just sort of being at peace with who I am, you know, um, and I'm not perfect, you know, um, you know, I, I will still make a mistake. Um, but you know, it's just, it's just, just sort of like accepting that both those things can coexist in the same world, you know, um, and that's okay. I mean, that's okay for me, but that's basically how I deal with it is I try and, you know, I, I, I do try and have this positive, you know, like when I look at myself in the mirror and say, I'm a good husband, I'm a good father. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a good friend. Um, and really believe it, you know, um, because I am, like I said, I, I work at it every day. So, you know, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's not extreme, right? It's, it's the middle, it's the gray that we strive for that, but all these things are true. <laughs> you know, right, exactly. The, the past is the past, the future is the future. You know, I did these, you know, whatever, and all the things that, you know, I feel guilty about. Some of them I'm very much participated in, but it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. And I think that's really hard to to learn. So I think that's really interesting. On that intensity. Yeah, I I get that. Again, I really relate. I think that, which, you know, when we read, when I read the, do our reading today, it's kind of all in there. Uh, everything we're really talking about is really in there. And um, it works if you work it. Like, uh, it, it's on a daily basis, I think I sink deeper into the understanding of that. It works if you work it. And then, like, as far as self-esteem goes, like, you're worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it took me a long it it on a daily basis. Um, I make outreach or use program to remind myself that I'm worth it because a huge part of the this disease for me was the message that I'm not worth it. That I'm just not worth it. I'm not worthy of anything. Yeah. Which is like why I participated in the disease itself, which I think is why the alcoholic drinks, you know, ultimately like at its core is like, I'm not the, the worthiness and the self-worth. It's like everything's so fucking horrible. I already fucked it all up. So like this thing will make me feel better for a moment. And, you know, and then the, the allergy that creates the addiction that, that the compulsion to want to drink more. But I think it's, it, to me, it is no, it's, it's no different than my mental compulsion to want to direct, manage, and control other people, places, and things because of the hit that I get from that, right? The like, the like, oh, yeah, like this is giving me this 
instant feeling of I can control something to give me worth. Mm. If, if, if I can make this thing do this thing, then I have self-worth. It's not true. Like that's my disease. That's the like biggest secret lie that the disease is trying to tell me all the time in so many different disguises and outfits, you know, it just shows up in a different, with a different fucking outfit on. And I'm like, Oh, you're the same fucking thing again. Like you just put on a coat. Like what? (laughs) Beware of the coat. (laughs) Like (laughs) you had a tea umbrella. Like, so I couldn't see your face this time. And it's the same. Like, (laughs) David, how did you, can you talk for a minute about, being on the other side of it, right? So then how did you relate to your father? And, um, you know, how did you engage in that relationship? And, and how did your relationship with having children and being on both sides of this disease inform, you know, how you, how you worked with that relationship? You know, that's another really good question. Um, you know, I didn't have the greatest relationship with my dad. Um, I mean, a part of it was definitely, um, you know, it takes two to tango, you know, um, my dad in my mind, uh, abandoned me pretty consistently throughout my life, even when I was an adult. Um, and therefore, you know, I mean, I wasn't really in, I mean, I was in recovery maybe the last seven or eight years of his life. Um, but I always had a hard time calling him. You know, uh, my dad, although he stopped drinking maybe, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 years ago, um, he just did it, you know, by sheer will. You know, he didn't do it through a 12-step program. And as a result, he was a dry drunk. You know, he was just always angry. Like, he still exhibited all the negative behaviors he had when he was drinking. (laughs) It's just that he wasn't drinking alcohol. Um, And I did always say I was never going to be like my dad. And of course, you know, you just repeat it anyways, you know, um, you know, you say, yeah, I'm never going to do that. And then somehow you just do it because you've been wired that way to do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it was a difficult, basically the common ground I found with my father, honestly, was politics. Um, we had the same political skew. So that I could talk to him forever about, and that seemed to be like a common ground, but it was very difficult to talk to him about feelings or the past or anything like that. And honestly, I wish that he, there were a a number of things that I wished I had done differently with him, honestly, as I would have probably actually talked to him about his drinking, um, you know, and about about like basically what demons caused him to drink. Um, You know, I can tell you that he did make a very tearful amends to me, maybe about three or four years before he died. Um, He was crying. I was crying, but you know, he basically, you know, said to me, you know, I'm sorry for everything, you know, I did for, you know, I did to you. Um, I'm sorry that I wasn't there when you needed me the most. And, and that meant a lot to me to, to, to have him do that. 
but the reality is, is when he was dying, I mean, I probably didn't see him for maybe 10, 15 years before he died physically. Um, and when the option came for me to potentially fly back and, you know, say goodbye to him in person, I declined that, you know, um, mm. I, you know, you know, I said goodbye to him over the phone and, you know, you know, told him that I loved him. Um, but, uh, and I'm okay with that decision too. Um, but yeah, you know, it's the kind of thing, the best way I can put it is, uh, oh, when I got the phone call that he had passed away, um, I found myself, uh, uh, crying and I sort of had this realization, <laughs> you know, uh, that what I was really crying about was I was crying about the father that I never had about the relationship that I always hoped would be, um, that, that I always dreamed would happen one day. And just, and now there was a finality to the fact that I'm never going to have that. I'm never going to have the dad that I wanted. Um, so anyways, yeah, that's, that's my take on that. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just see, the parallels, right? Like, and with your, you know, just thinking of your eldest daughter and, you know, not being able to have a relationship, it's just fascinating, right? Like the way these things play out. Like, like I can't tell you how many times I've been in a meeting and, and I've heard, Someone, a man or a woman walk in, they're in their 40s or 50s. They've just found Al-Anon for the first time. And like the first words out of their mouth are, I wish I would have found this meeting before my father died so that I could talk mm -hmm. to him about mm -hmm. what I'm learning in these meetings. And mm -hmm. like, I, you know, and that's why I pray so hard for my kids to find God's voice, find a meeting so that they can have that conversation with me while I'm alive. And if God wills it the other way that they just have to do it, at least I know that there'll be a great support group of people who will be able to be there and say, I hear you. I understand. Same thing happened to me. Let's have coffee, like that kind of a thing. Yeah. And I mean, you've done the work to make yourself available for the conversation, right? And that's the difference. Right? Correct. You, that's how you change right. the the pattern. You said, okay, correct. I because my dad person. never did that. Yeah. yeah. I can't make the person do it, but I can make myself the person that can receive it. Correct. I think we're getting close to um, our reading time, but I have a question first. Usually Corey has most of the questions, but <laughs> in a, in a, that's, that's how we like it. Corey and I. And Claire's, Claire's the rich <laughs> nougaty center. <laughs> That's right. That's Yum. right. Of course, this is a hard, very, very, very um, brittle, you know. Listen, I can't control what you think about me. <laughs> it's how I feel is what it is. Um, anyways, anyways, anyways. So in our suggested Al-Anon welcome, there's a phrase, there's a sentence, and it reads, it's like halfway through the suggested Al-Anon welcome. I found it, by the way, Corey, the phrase I was looking for. It's in the Al-Anon welcome. Oh my God, the treasure hunt has ended. It did. I wouldn't. I wasn't going to put it down. My ears were up and my nose was to the ground. Um, it's a haiku. So I, sni 
I sniffed it out. Uh, the fa- <laughs> this I mean, is really what people think it was. Tune, but... tune. It wasn't. I was literally. My brain was like, "Was it five seven five? No, it I just it just so. rhymed, and, and that's it a better just, word than poem. Maybe limerick. Maybe it was a, lim- a limerick. Um, oh my god, the family situation is bound to improve as we apply the Al-Anon ideas. I'm curious, David, if that rings true to you. And if it does, do you have like an example? Um, it definitely rings true to me. You know, it does on one level or another. You know, um, I feel that it helps, for instance, not only in my current relationship, you know, I am now remarried. Um and I bring all the tools of my program um, into my current relationship with my wife. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it definitely does um, with my children as well. I mean, obviously it's strained with my two daughters, but the reason why I keep working this program is because I continue to have the hope that something's going to manifest where I am able to use my tools of recovery to um, you know, sort of break open or, 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 or bridge that divide that's, that's between Mm -hmm. us. But, you know, especially with my youngest son, I just, you know, I see, I see his burdens being lifted. You know, um, I see my relationship with him becoming stronger and tighter. Not, well, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing a part of it is, is because in his own way, he is working a program, you know, um, Mm, and, mm -hmm. and, and he, um, I continue to work mine. He works his, he stays connected. Um, you know, you are, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to even describe this, but my, but my relationship with him is just a wonderful, beautiful thing that only God could have allowed to happen. And I'm super grateful for it. And it's only because I am, you know, in a program like Al-Anon that, um, that uh, it's even able to happen, to be honest. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely think that if you continue to work your program, that things will manifest, you know, the promises, the promises will actually come true. I mean, I, I literally say say that to myself frequently, you know, like, wow, that was just the promises that, that, that just happened mm. right there. So, mm. Corey, what about you? Do you feel like the family situation has improved as you've applied the Alan on ideas? I do. Um, you know, my father isn't in recovery or I guess he recognizes himself as an alcoholic. Um, and that we have this family disease, but, um, I don't care whether he drinks and that helps a lot. So, um, I don't nag him and I don't scold him and I don't complain about things that he does, um, or as a result of his disease or behavior. And so it's really much easier to get along with him. Um, and I, I had this conversation with a friend of mine. I don't think her parents are alcoholics, but you know, her dad just wants to sit and watch TV when he comes to visit. And it's really annoying because she's active and she's fun. And, you know, and I was like, sometimes you just got to sit and watch TV with them. Like you just got to sit on the couch uh-huh. and that's what they're available for. So if you want to have a relationship, yeah, you got to show up and just like do it. Like have a, I have the occasional yeah. conversation, 
the occasional side comment, but the TV's on and it's like seven hours and I just do that. Like I can do that every once in a while. And so to me, that's, you know, not asking someone to be different than they are and all the things that we learned in this program um, have changed how I interact and therefore all of our interactions are loving and lovely because they don't have to be. There's, I don't have any expectation that this person is going to move out of their house or change their friend group or get sober or do anything really differently. Right. And it's just so easy. <laughs> Just be like, oh, yeah, well, call me if that doesn't go well. Like, you know, best of luck. I have no uh, yeah. I have no investment in the outcome of that situation. I, uh, that, I really get that. And, um, you know, when I see my parents, we can go on walks in the park and I can hang out with them in the garden. That's what I do. It's the same every time. Gosh, I wish my dad would go to the movie. But I don't even wish that anymore. Guy mm. can't do it. He's not going to do it. Like, why wish that thing? He, why why wish a thing that he would be so – I understand him now because I listen and I actually pay attention to what he's communicating, whether he's doing it, you know, <laughs> with like great communication skills or not. Guys, like you said at the beginning of this, Corey, people show you who they are and they tell you who they are. Mm-hmm. They do. Like, am I listening? You know, my dad would be so uncomfortable in a movie. He would be so uncomfortable going and being in public, being in the movie theater, spending money on that. Like all those things would be uncomfortable for him. Why would I do that? You know, and like, it would be great to watch a movie because the guy actually really loves movies to watch a movie with him. But like, they don't have a place to do that at their house because they're not well in that way. They don't have like a functioning living room with a TV to sit and watch Pulp Fiction. Like my dad would love to do that with me. I'm not available for that because I'm not going to sit like on a spot on the couch that they like cleared the books off of (laughs) because that's how they live. Let me make a spot for you to sit. That's okay. You know where there's always a spot to sit in the garden. I don't know why that's where they, that's like their sacred place. The, you know, the table with the umbrella out in the garden is always clear and clean and has room to sit and have lunch. So like I bring lunch for us and we sit there in the garden and it's beautiful and I'm happy and they're happy, you know, and it's about an hour and a half and then I'm ready to go. Yeah. And I leave. <laughs> Cause if I stay longer, then I'm mad. Yeah. Then it's just too much for me. And then I get upset and irritable and unreasonable and I can come back the next day or the day after that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just changing our perceptions and expectations. Or getting rid of all mm-hmm. expectations, ideally. Yeah, because what's an expectation, honest, Claire? A down payment on resentment. Um, I see what you did there, Corey. You did the thing I do to you. She to mad me. libs me. It's like a, it's like a <laughs> constant mad libbing that I get. Um, I, I do. They they do do that. I do that. <laughs> yes, they do it. Sorry, I have to also read my pronouns. You. My apologies. Thank you. Um, well, shall, shall I read our passage today? Yeah, hit it. Okay, great. We're reading, also, 
I really think I might have read this in a previous episode, and I'm going to be real honest and say that I didn't go back and try and listen to find out whether I did or not, even though there's only, this will be the 14th episode and it doesn't seem like that many episodes. But I felt like this seems appropriate. If you've heard it before, get ready to hear it again. Okay, this is from Survival to Recovery, Growing Up in an Alcoholic Home. It's on page... 267. If we willingly surrender ourselves to the spiritual discipline of the 12 steps, our lives can be transformed. We can become mature, responsible individuals with a great capacity for joy, fulfillment, and wonder. Though we will never be perfect, continued spiritual progress can reveal to us our enormous potential. Many of us discover that our fellow members already what our fellow members already know that we're both worthy of love and loving. We learn to love others without losing ourselves and we accept love in return. Our sight, once clouded and distorted, can clear enough for us to receive perceive reality and recognize truth. Courage and fellowship replace fear. It becomes possible for us to risk failure and develop new, previously hidden talents. Our lives, no matter how battered and degraded, will offer hope to share with others. We begin to feel and know the vastness of our emotions without being slaves to them. Our secrets no longer have to bind us in shame. As we gain the ability to forgive ourselves and our families and the world, our choices expand. With dignity, we stand for ourselves without standing against each other. Serenity and peace will have new meaning as we allow our lives, the lives of those we love, to flow day by day with God's ease, balance, and grace. No longer terrified, we discover that we're free to delight in life's paradox, mystery, and awe. We laugh more. Faith replaces fear and gratitude comes naturally as we realize that our higher power is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Can we really grow to such proportions as we accept life as a continuing process of maturation and evolution towards wholeness? We gradually begin to notice these changes. We may see them first in those who walk beside us. Sometimes these changes happen slowly or haltingly and occasionally with great bursts of brilliance. As we work the steps, we move even closer towards light towards health, towards higher power of our understanding. As we watch others grow, we realize we are also changing. Will we ever arrive? Will we feel joy all the time? Can we really be free of all cruelty, tragedy, and injustice? Probably not. But we can acquire growing acceptance of our human fallibility, as, we all, as well as greater love and tolerance for each other. Self-pity, resentment, Rage and depression can fade into memory. A sense of community rather than loneliness defines our lives. We come to know that we belong. We are welcome. We have something to contribute. And that is enough. That's it. That was amazing. I love this reading. And like... I didn't get choked up until the very last line this time. I, oh, <laughs> I usually 
want to just cry through the whole thing, which is progress, I think. I got to be present for all of it. And then, you know, we come to know that we belong. We're welcome. We have something to contribute. And that's enough. Oof. That's enough. Uh-huh. Don't have to do anymore. Yeah. Corey, what do you think? What do I think? Um, yeah, I mean, I love that passage. I think that is the root of the Alanonism for me is waking up with and being whenever I'm not being productive or not doing something, being a human doing, feeling like I need to do something, right? Instead of just being able to be. Um, it's not something I've ever mastered. It is also like a human condition beyond <laughs> Alanism, right? Like it's a, the, it's why there is Buddhism, or what have you. Um, but yeah, I mean, the idea that you know that I'm enough, that it just inherently I'm enough, is not something that I think. Someone has some lovely birds in the background. Is not something that I think. I feel like it's like the 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 Snow White part of our of our <laughs> pod. Um, you know, it's not something that I'm that comes naturally to me to feel like enough. It's not a natural state. For sure. David? Yeah, me neither. I thought that, I I thought it was fantastic. I mean, yeah, like, I want you to to send me uh, the info on where I can find that reading because, like, that's almost something I feel like I want to read almost daily. (laughs) Yeah, I used to, I used to read it at the beginning of my day for I think in my like second year program, I found the book, the From Survival to Recovery book came across, you know, it was like in a meeting. I actually like heard that it was there. And uh, then I've read through the whole thing, like so like couldn't put it down. And then I would read that passage almost daily in the morning because um, and just cry. I would just cry and cry and cry because it seemed so like, is this true? Could I really like have this life? Can my life really be so different? And there was so much grieving to do over so all of the years of so much pain that comes from this disease. I'll get you the info, David. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, this has been so informative. Um, I really love hearing from the other side of things. And I love when people have both experiences. It sort of reminds me of how I opened this, right? Like when you get to experience both sides of the the experience, for lack of a better word, um, when you're on the other side, like being a victim and then being in a case of alcohol and being, you know, a child of alcohol, but then actually being also having our own perpetrations, you just have so much compassion for for the situation that I don't know that I would get without without being on both sides. I have such a wonderful opportunity to get to experience both sides of the coin, you know? Yeah. So I really appreciate you coming and sharing that with us. Um, Unless there are any other thoughts, I guess we'll wrap up for the week. Unless you have like one, what is your last sharing parting wisdom for people in the family disease, David? Um, that's That's another good question. I mean, my, my number one thing, and I don't know if this is just because how I've been feeling lately is love. I mean, just love people. Um, 
like literally I've been trying to do this practice where I envision myself sending love to people who I really love and including people who I really don't like. Um, and just <laughs> surrounding them with the light of my love. And sometimes I actually picture them fighting it off, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> but I still like try to do that. Uh, you know, it's just, I think it's just really important that we express to people that we love them um, and love ourselves is a big part of it too. Um, yeah. I mean, love your mm. kids, you know, whether they're talking to you or not, you know, um, don't let that, you know, stop you from putting out that energy of love, you know, love and compassion. So that would be, that would be what I would say because I love both of you. So we love you too, David. Thank you so much for that. Sure. All right. Well, that's the end of our episode. What a great, great little episode. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. If you made it this far, congratulations. I mean, <laughs> I mean like we always say that. Wow, what a reflection of our self-worth. We don't think people are finishing this episode. Interesting. <laughs> people can't fucking listen through the whole thing. I'm going to remove that. Edit that out. Uh, no, um, we're, we're going to stop doing it, but I appreciate that we did it in this because you know what, Claire, we're enough. This podcast is enough. It really is. And it's not up to me if it, if it helps anyone. It's up to God. No, absolutely. Like fucking straight up. And holy moly patoli, because like if you told me that I said shit like that, things like that would come out, just fly out of my mouth naturally <laughs> without me even being able to stop them. Like if you told me that like four years ago, I'd have been like, no. Uh, I'm like, yeah, like God did it. I didn't do it. Like get out of the way, you know, like. I'm just like showing up doing this thing that brings me joy and like, fuck, I can't wait to finish the rest of my day because I feel like I got like a killer meeting with people that I love and adore, you know, and like got all this great recovery, got some literature in. Like I get to go like enjoy the rest of my day, like full, cup full. And, you know, it's like if me showing up and doing this has a positive effect on anyone else, like that's fantastic. That's what I hope for. But, like, I'm not controlling that, you know? Thanks, HP. Exactly. Thanks, HP. All right. All right. Well, with that, um, you know. David? Keep Thank coming you. back. Keep coming back. It <laughs> Thanks, works if you David. work Thanks, it. David. And <laughs> you're worth it. Let's, and you're worth it. You're worth it. it. Worth, worth it. it. Yes. Right. That's David. You're worth it. That's David. Yes. This podcast is produced by Claire and Corey. Original music by Austin Bunn. Original crosstalk logo by Jonathan Grant. Special thanks to our awesome editor, Joe. And thanks to all of our listeners. Keep coming back. <laughs>